BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a new day in Washington. It's a women's day in Washington, and it's a major power shift in Washington. Hey, hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Here we go, Friday. Fourth of January, 2019. Uh, This year starting off with a bang for sure uh, as the House of Representatives Goes over to the Democratic side yesterday in full force. Nancy Pelosi, overwhelmingly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. The new members, all the new members, new and existing members, sworn in again for the 116th Congress. And they got underway right away by passing two bills, both of which would open up the government. Now it's up to the Senate to take up those bills and for the president to sign them. Don't hold your breath. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us with so much to talk about. Uh, And Donald Trump digging in deeper and deeper down at the White House, uh, insisting that he has to have his wall or else, or else the government shutdown now in its 14th day will continue 21 days as long as there's ever been a shutdown I would be willing to bet you money that this time next Friday we'll still be talking about the shutdown, and this will be the longest in history because we have the most incompetent, ignorant, stubborn man ever in the White House. Big, big news on that front, and on the political front, some news about 2020 that may surprise you. Lots and lots coming up with a great lineup of guests today. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you, our most important guests of all, and your comments on Twitter. Keep those comments coming. Love hearing from you. You know how to do it. Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We will uh, take a look at the big festivities in the House of Representatives yesterday. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. You know, we don't talk a lot of NFL here on the show, but I just there's a story that's worth mentioning. It's because it's always the, usually bad news. It's usually bad news. This is not bad news. Oh. This is not bad news. 
the NFL playoffs are going to kick off uh, this Sunday, and it will see the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the interesting part of this is the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He is a man by the name of Lamar Jackson. He is 21 years old, <laughs> and on Saturday, he will be 21 years and 364 days. No. He is the youngest wow. quarterback to ever start a playoff game Boy. in NFL history. Can you imagine at 21 that no, responsibility? No, and it's really, it's really interesting because the Ravens have this quarterback, Joe Flacco, who took them to the, to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl a couple years yeah. ago. And Lamar Jackson is a rookie, and he came in to replace Flacco when he had an injury and has been absolutely amazing. So they were yeah. like, "Wow, we're just going to keep him. Yeah. We're just going to keep him. So they got this young gun, and we'll, we'll see what he can do. By the way, bad news for Apple. Holy cow. Apple is not yeah. doing well. Uh, just to look at what they've been doing in the last several months. Their market value decline, they have lost. This, I mean, this number is astounding. $452 billion in market capitalization since October 3rd of last year. Think about that. So in about three months, they've yeah. lost that much money. Now, of course, this has sent shockwaves throughout uh, markets across the world, not just with Apple, but just the economy in general. It can really disrupt something like that. Not long ago, we were celebrating them as the first $1 trillion company. Yeah. Yikes. And there has been a long-held record for the longest person who ever lived, Jean Kalman. She died at the age of 122 years, 164 days. You see what we're doing, the young quarterback and the old woman? Well, she died in 1997 as the oldest person to ever live. Well, it turns out it was a fraud. What? It's a fraud. She made up the numbers <coughs> to uh, make herself appear older so that she could get the title so there is a scandal in the guinness book of world records are going to have to figure it out but when you cheat on that <laughs> this is the bill press show Wake up, Mr. Trump. You are no longer the only one in Washington with any power. Uh, yeah, there's a whole new power shift in Washington, D.C., folks. On this day 14 of the government shutdown, hello, 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 and welcome. Good to see you on this Friday, January 4, uh, the Bill Press Show. That's me, and you are very, very much part of the program. Thanks so much for joining us. As we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, both what's happening uh, here in Washington, at both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, we're up at one end, uh, the, where the Congress is, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, uh, but also very close to the White House and the Supreme Court as well. Bring you up to date on all of that, plus what's going on around the country and around the globe as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where you go to hear our podcast and sign up for our podcast. Don't forget. Also joining you on television on the one and only Free Speech TV, the only 24-7 progressive cable channel in the entire country. And look at you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And how about it? WCPT Chicago looking good today, Chicago. 
and all the surrounding communities around Chicago. And yes, what a glorious day yesterday. Boy, I had so many comments from friends all around the country yesterday on Twitter and on email saying for the first time, I feel a sense of, first time in two years at least, a sense of hope uh, for this country as uh, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy D'Alessandro Pelosi, or NDP, as Hakeem Jeffries has uh, dubbed her, uh, stepped up to the podium, took the gavel, took back the gavel, which she relinquished in 2011, and called the House to order and swore in the new members of the House. It is absolutely uh, a moment that we should treasure uh, and recognize history being made, not only the first female Speaker of the House, but the first person in 64 years to have lost the gavel as Speaker and then get it back as Speaker. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, the most powerful woman in the history of American politics and certainly a power to contend with now in Washington that Donald Trump just doesn't quite get um, uh, and Mitch McConnell doesn't quite get. What is it, she asked yesterday, that the Senate doesn't understand? Don't they realize that we are a co-equal branch of government as powerful as the presidency and as powerful uh, equal power as the Supreme Court of the United States as well? Yes, the United States Congress, and under her leadership, the Congress will be um, doing its job, flexing its muscle, and fighting for the American people, not sitting back and waiting till the mercurial Donald Trump decides what he wants to do about any issue and then responding accordingly. accordingly. That is not why we elected them. That is not the role of Congress. Um, yes, what an incredible uh, looking out over that new Congress yesterday, which all of us did. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. The, the new firsts uh, that we saw uh, yesterday... Uh, and, I, I, you know, we talked about these before, but uh, NBC News summed them up uh, last night, and I thought um, it, it's, just, it's just worth just reflecting on what – add all of this up, okay? In no particular order, we saw yesterday uh, from New Mexico, Deb Holland, from Kansas, Sharice Davids, both are Democrats. First of all, over 100 women sworn in yesterday, most of them Democrats. Among them, again, from New Mexico, Deb Holland, from Kansas, Sharice Davis, both the first, the first two Native American women ever to serve in the Congress. And by the way, the dress so many of these women wore, the, uh, the Native Americans wore Pueblo, Pueblo dress, as did members of their family. Also yesterday, another first, the two first Muslim women uh, in Congress, Ilan Omar from Minnesota, the first woman also to wear a hijab on the floor of the House. Legislation passed yesterday, or a rule passed yesterday to permit her to do so. And Rashida Tlaib, uh, Tlaib, I guess you pronounce her name, um, from Michigan, also the first two Muslim women, one a Somali-American and the other in uh, a Palestinian woman. Uh, Also, for the first time, Iowa sending the first two women ever elected to the House from Iowa um, in, from Massachusetts. Ayanna Presley, the first black congresswoman to represent Massachusetts. Johanna Hayes, Johanna Hayes, the first black woman to represent Connecticut 
in the House of Representatives. Andy Kim, the first Asian-American to represent New Jersey. It goes on and on. Chris Pappas, the first openly gay member from New Hampshire. Angie Craig, the first openly gay member from Minnesota. The largest congressional black caucus ever. The largest Hispanic caucus ever. The, the tremendous diversity and talent and youth and energy uh, represented in this 116th Congress is just amazing. It really is a power shift, and the House of Representatives will never look the same and never be the same. Uh, it was Nancy Pelosi yesterday as she took the gavel, uh, calling the House to order. I now call the House to order on behalf of all of America's children. Go kids. Go kids. Go kids. And she was not only surrounded by her own grandchildren, uh, some 12, I think. And, oh, of her grandchildren? Yeah, Her yeah, grandchildren. Yeah. Yes. But all the children in the house came up, you know. I mean, she, she had like 30 kids around her. Oh, yeah, I know. It was amazing. Uh, I think we'll get to this in a little bit. But the contrast between Nancy Pelosi standing there with all these kids around her and Donald Trump standing at the podium in the White House with four bald white men in suits and ties in back of him. Spoke volumes. Just those two pictures side by side. Spoke volumes about who's really working for the American people and who's just out there throwing, again, his temper tantrum over the wall. Nancy's first job was to swear in all the members of the House. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on what you, which you are about to enter. So help you God. Congratulations, you are now. <laughs> There they are, they're surrounded with their families. They are all sworn in. Uh, by the way, Nancy overwhelmingly uh, was elected speaker. She received uh, 220 votes in her favor uh, against uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, it was sort of funny that, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, that every member of the House has to stand up one by one, took over an hour, and has to give a name, Pelosi, McCarthy, or they could name somebody else. Doesn't have to be a member of the House. Doesn't have to be somebody who's running for Speaker. And that's one way that people sort of duck, if you will, or fulfill their responsibilities. Like, I'll never vote for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and among them, the, the others who got votes, Tammy Duckworth got two or three votes. Sher Sherry Bustos, who's part of the House leadership and our good friend, been on the show many times, got four votes yesterday. John Lewis always gets at least one vote. I love it. Yeah, and he did. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Brindisi from uh, New York voted for Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So there were sort of a, like a symbolic votes there. Remember uh, it was about a— Three of them voted present, which— Yeah. It was, it was, what, about a month ago that everybody was wringing their hands and oh, Nancy yeah. Pelosi's yeah. speakership is really in jeopardy now and this she might not get it. I, I, we just had to laugh at that. I know, no. I just want to say for the record, right, we said from the beginning, yeah. Nancy, 
knows how to count votes. Yeah. She knows she's a masterful politician. Uh, and she was going to be the next speaker of the House of Representatives. I don't think she ever broke a sweat. No, I never, I never bought into that no. Nancy's in trouble kind of thing. Well, for one thing, because remember the opposition never even found a candidate who yeah. could run against her. That's never. step one. No, right. Find somebody who runs against her. And at the most, they were like sixteen strong or something like that. Yeah, that that that, that whole thing, the whole thing was a joke. Uh, in her opening remarks, um, uh, Speaker Pelosi saying. That um, so some some um, comfortable and memorable words here and familiar words in her in her uh, speech to the members of the house. Let us pray that God may bless our work and crown our good with brotherhood and sisterhood <laughs> from sea to shining sea. From sea to shining sea, and particularly again, as I mentioned, looking out at that. The mem- of that new House of Representatives, the number of women, over 100 of them. Here is uh, Speaker Pelosi. I'm particularly proud to be the woman Speaker of the House of this Congress, which marks the 100th year of women having the right to vote. That is remarkable. Uh, and by the way, with those over 100 women... Uh, again, NBC pointed out last night that, uh, get this, in 1989, Democrats had 16 members, women members of the House. 1989, Republicans, 13. Flash forward 30 years. Today, there are 89 Democratic women in the House. There are still only 13 women, Republican women in the House. So in 30 years, Democrats have gone from 16 to 89 Republicans stuck at 13. That says a lot, too. Says a lot about the outreach of the party. Says a lot about the appeal of the party. Says a lot about uh, the success of Republicans in opposing health care, in trying to shut down Planned Parenthood, in trying to overturn Roe v. Wade, they are writing their own ticket to oblivion. Uh, In her speech yesterday also, I thought it was very, very important that Nancy Pelosi stressed that the Congress was going to be working for the American people uh, on many important issues, prescription drugs, on minimum wage, on shoring up health care for all Americans under the Affordable Care Act, and also on climate change. She said that definitely is going to be a priority. by the way, yesterday, and so the, the House got right to work. And as promised, uh, they passed a measure, two bills, uh, both of which would reopen the government. Remember, they divided and said, we'll take eight agents or nine government agencies. We'll take eight of them and open them long term. And one of them, the Department of Homeland Security, we will do for 30 days so we can negotiate some solution to this border security impasse which created the shutdown in the first place thanks to donald trump uh here is congresswoman joyce Beatty uh announcing the vote on the this is the department of homeland security measure on this vote the ayes are 239 and the nays are 192 the joint resolution is passed without objection a motion to reconsider is laid up on the table. 
And the second bill, which would open the government for the other eight agencies, passed even a little more handily, 241 to 190. Uh, and those bills are now, um, uh, uh, well, through the House and on their way to the Senate. They did that again on day one. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Here's what Speaker Pelosi said uh, about those bills. These bills, by the way, so th- 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 understand, these bills are a deal that was first a bipartisan deal that was negotiated in the Senate in the last Congress, in just the last week of December, uh, two weeks of December. So this was negotiated, began in the Senate, passed in the Senate. Senate passed this bill. Paul Ryan never took it up in the House. So this was the approach that Senate Republicans and Democrats came together on, but Republicans controlling the Senate, two weeks ago. So now with the new Congress, <coughs> pardon me, they passed the bill in the House, the very same bill that the Senate passed two weeks ago, and Mitch McConnell says he won't bring it up for a vote. Here's what Speaker Pelosi said about that. What we're asking the Republicans in the Senate to do is to take yes for an answer. Yes for an answer. We are sending them back exactly word for word what they have passed. Why would they not do that? Is it because the president won't sign it? Did they not hear about the co-equal branch of government and that we, the Congress, send the president legislation and he can choose to sign it or not? Hello, basic lesson 101 on how Congress works. But again, to take the exact bill that came over from the Senate two weeks ago, send it back, pass it, and send it back word for word, and Mitch McConnell won't act on it. Talk about just total total abdication, as I've said a couple of days this week, total abdication of leadership on the part of Mitch McConnell and hanging all of his Republicans out on a limb to the extent yesterday that I'm not saying this is a uh, tsunami, but at least two Republican senators, Cory Gardner from Colorado, who may be the most vulnerable uh, Republican up in 2020, and Susan Collins of Maine, both said, okay, we played enough games. We ought to take this bill. We ought to pass. We passed. Cory Gardner said that. We passed it before. Why can't we pass it again? And let's just stop playing the games, Mitch McConnell, and stop uh, you know, turning everything over to uh, Donald Trump and letting him run the Senate. Let's do our own thing. Uh, two, two Republican senators are not going to convince Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell will do whatever Donald Trump wants to the bitter end. Uh, yeah. You know? you know, I mean, these, these, these moves, you know, we've been doing this show for a while, Bill. These moves have gotten more and more naked. Uh, yeah. The longer we've done this, right? Like they've just I, stopped trying to hide behind procedure and things like that. Like this is now just a total suck up to Donald Trump. Yeah, more and more naked, and more and more naked, and more and more dumb. I yeah, mean, this yeah, feels I mean, very stupid. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it, so while all this, while all this celebration was going on uh, in the House, um, what were the Republicans doing? Well, they were trying to steal the show. Donald Trump did in a pathetic move. He showed up. First of all, there was no briefing. We've talked about this before, okay? And Hunter Walker from Yahoo News is going to join us uh, at the top of the next hour. 
uh, as a friend of Bill. We'll talk more about it with him. But there aren't any more White House briefings anymore. At the most, there have been there was one in October, one in November, one in December. Uh, yesterday, there was no briefing schedule. Suddenly, with 15 minutes to go, they called a briefing. So the only people who are going to be there are the people who work in the White House like every day all the time. And I know that this is a little bit of behind the scenes, right? But not yeah. everybody just sits no, and works no. at the White House. There are some, right? Yeah. Um, uh, like J- Jordan from the Hill, right? Sure. Uh, and um, But most reporters, they cover the White House, but they come into the White House for events for the briefing. They have a bureau. They have a desk that yeah, they work at. Yeah. yeah. Or they have a life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, not all of them. So, anyway, <laughs> with 15 minutes ago, they suddenly called a briefing. Everybody, nobody knew what this was all about. This is this is why Nancy Pelosi is swearing in and, and new members of the Senate and giving her speech. It's her moment. But Donald Trump tries to, tries to steal the show. He himself walks into the briefing room, takes over the podium. And first his, time ever. First time first ever. First time he's ever been in the briefing room. Exactly. Uh, and he just, all he does, he's got four ICE agents in suits and ties, all four white men, bald-headed white men, standing in back of him. Again, the image of that Donald Trump versus Nancy Pelosi with all these kids and all these this great, uh, this incredibly new freshman class of the House. Uh, the, the 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 contrast between those two photos is just is stunning. And Donald Trump gets up there and rants and raves about the wall again, uh, saying, uh, "We've got to have this." Wall. You can call it a barrier. You can call it whatever you want. But essentially, we need protection in our country. We're going to make it good. Uh, the people of our country want it. Oh, yeah. How how popular is it? This is the most popular thing he says he has ever done. I have never had anything like it in terms of calls coming in, in terms of people writing in and tweeting and doing whatever they have to do. I've never had this much support. And we've done some things that, as you know, have been very popular. Uh, actually, uh, that's uh, liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. Every single public opinion poll, the most recent one I saw, 54% of Americans said no wall. Uh, there's there's not, I haven't seen one, you show, tell me if you know, one public opinion poll that shows that, that the American people want this wall. And certainly, there are, if you ask them, do they want to pay for the wall, it's even more overwhelming opposition to the wall. Uh, and let's re- repeat, just remind ourselves one more time that Donald Trump's promise was twofold. Build the wall. Mexico pays for it. That second part of it, he doesn't talk about it anymore. No. Now he's trying to stick us with the wall. But he, he just insists on that. And, of course, he had Mike Pence out last night pardon me, on Fox News with Tucker Carlson with the same message. No wall, no deal. We're here to make a deal but it's a deal that's going to result in achieving real gains on border security. And you have no border security without right. a wall. We will have no deal without a wall. Yeah, right. I so have a feeling we're, we're here to make a deal. Those. We're not. They're not here to make a deal. No. They're here to get twenty-five billion dollars, starting with five billion for the wall. We're going to hear those words again, over and over and over again. I think of him saying, "No deal without a wall." Yeah, uh, and um, I'll say again. He's not. He's never going to get his right because we're going to get a deal, and there's not going to be a wall. And those right. words that Mike Pence just said are going to turn out to be very embarrassing. Well, remember, Republicans, Republicans controlled both houses of Congress, the House and the Senate, for two years, with Donald Trump in the White House. 
they had all the power. Did they give Donald Trump the money for his wall? No. If Donald Trump did not get money for his wall out of a Republican Congress, if Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell could not deliver that money for the president, you can bet your sweet ass that Nancy Pelosi is not going to deliver that the, money for it. It is over. Any chance of getting funding for that wall is over. And Donald Trump can continue the shutdown until the cows come home. He ain't going to get his wall. There was a great moment yesterday where, where a reporter asked Nancy Pelosi, are you willing to even give Donald Trump $1 for his yeah. wall? And she goes, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give him $1 <laughs> for his wall. Right. $1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, in um, s s several interviews yesterday, um, among several interviews yesterday, uh, Speaker Pelosi sat down with Samantha Guntheri from uh, NBC News uh, and made a little news. She was asked about two particular issues. What about the question of whether or not a sitting president can be indicted? Everything indicates that a president can be indicted after he is no longer president of the United States. What about States? a sitting president? Well, the sitting president when he's no longer president of the United States. A president who is in office. Right. Could Robert Mueller come back and say, I am seeking an indictment? I think that that is an open discussion. I think that is an open discussion in terms of the law. She's absolutely right about that. I mean, legal scholars uh, are divided on the question of whether a sitting president should be indicted. Most, uh, I'd say most scholars say, no, a sitting president cannot be indicted. Um, just because of the power of the office. But as uh, Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky has pointed out, and I forget, oh, it was uh, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who was our guest in studio, said, I mean, let's take an absurd example, but if the president of the United States shot someone and killed someone, are you saying could not be indicted for murder? Of course he could, right? Or she could, whoever the president is. So this idea that never, never, never indict a sitting president for anything is a non-starter. Yeah, it's BS. Yeah, it is total BS. So the I would say the precedent, right, would be maybe rule, the Department of Justice would hesitate to do it, but don't say never. And I saw uh, Speaker Pelosi was absolutely right, I believe, on that point. Uh, and on impeachment, everybody wants to get her to talk impeachment, and every time she says, just hold your, hold the phone. Here's uh, Samantha Gunthy, Samantha Gunthy. <laughs> Uh, Savannah Guthrie. Savannah Guthrie, right, uh, asked, posing that question. Are you willing to rule it out? Well, we have to wait and see what happens with the Mueller report. Uh, we shouldn't be impeaching for a political reason, and we shouldn't avoid impeachment for a political reason. Let's just wait and see what Robert Mueller has to say, is what she's saying. Uh, they are not going to begin impeachment hearings right away. Although, yesterday, two members of Congress, uh, Brad Sherman from California, Al Green from uh, uh, Texas, both guests here on the Bill Press Show, did introduce articles of impeachment, uh, which for the time being are not going to go anywhere. Uh, they've got other priorities, including uh, putting a little protective cocoon about around uh, Robert Mueller uh, and, again, reopening the government, which is the number one priority. By the way, if you don't think that the incoming <laughs> class of uh, freshman congresspeople are interested, or this is at least on their radar. Here's a clip, highly edited, by the way, from uh, incoming freshman congresswoman from Michigan, Rashida oh, Tlaib. Yes. Uh, who was caught on tape saying, We're going to impeach the mother. <laughs> <laughs>
So they're thinking about it. Uh, so they're, they're thinking about it. They're kind of ready to go. You know. It's just one final note. We talked about Donald Trump coming into the briefing room. I had to laugh this morning when I saw that uh, Joe Scarborough from uh, Morning Joe uh, said that Donald Trump's performance in the briefing room yesterday was that in itself was cause enough to trigger the 25th Amendment, just showing how nuts he is and how unhinged he is. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, don't count on Mike Pence to be the one <laughs> to no trigger way. the 25th Amendment. <laughs> no think way. about it, though. Think, think about this, right? Nancy Pelosi, she is now third in line to be president of the United States. So if something were to happen, if the report were bad enough to knock out Donald Trump and Mike Pence, stranger things have happened. Madam President, absolutely yeah. could happen. And there'd be nobody, no, nobody better person to step up there. Uh, by the way, a little uh, news on the uh, 2020 front yesterday, too. That and the rest of the political scene uh, we'll get into with our uh, next guest, Soshi Hinoshosha. I always get that name wrong with due apologies. Eno shows Eno. All right, we'll let her pronounce it when she comes in. <laughs> From the DNC Communications Director, uh, we'll take a quick break. And that's Friday, you know. Come on. <laughs> Getting tired. I've already worked three days this week. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Friday, January 4, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, if you watched the coverage yesterday, one of the uh, people there alongside of uh, Speaker Pelosi, every step of the way, was Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, a big supporter, one of the leading uh, union presidents in the country uh, and Teachers of America out there in in full force supporting the new Democratic members uh, of the House through the uh, 20, um, 2018 um, midterm elections. Uh, and we're proud to be sponsored by, in part, by the American Federation of Teachers, good members of the AFT. So thank you for your leadership. And check out their website at aft.org. Uh, lots of uh, political challenges still ahead. Most many of those um, who are going to be led by the Democratic National Committee uh, under Chairman Tom Perez, Communications Director, Soshi Inahosa, uh, back from maternity leave, joining us in studio. Hi, Soshi. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you. Nice to be A with you. A new daughter, son? Son. Son. Three-month-old, Sebastian. Wow. Sebastian, mm -hmm. really? Yes. Wow. It's early, but I figured you'd be up anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so why not? He, he was up Did at 5.15 five, five in the yeah. morning. Did so you bring him fine. with you this morning? I should have brought him with me, <laughs> yeah. but I left him with my husband, giving him a 30-minute break or He's so. He's at home watching oh. the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, he's been up early. He's been up early Nice to have you with us, and before we get started. Uh, let's catch up with some of the comments from the last half hour. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments. Let me just first of all mention we put up a poll yesterday about 2020. Who would you most like to see be the 2020 Democratic nominee? Uh, Joe mm. Biden. We asked you, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or other. 24% said Joe Biden. 24% mm. also said Bernie Sanders. 16% said Elizabeth Warren. And 36% say 
other. So people obviously commented with some of their choices. We've seen a couple of Beto O'Rourke. We've seen Sharon Brown, Tammy Duckworth. A couple of things for Tammy Duckworth, by hmm. the way. Hmm. Um, uh, WCPT from Chicago coming gotta through. Be. Yeah, gotta be. <laughs> uh, Wan says uh, three names, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Uh-huh. Also a Jay Inslee, also a Beto O'Rourke. Uh, and D. Ray Luther says, I think what everybody is thinking, anybody who can defeat Donald Trump. Yeah. That's all yeah. he really cares about. If you have a comment on any topic at any time. Wait, wait, wait. No votes for Bill Press? I'm sorry, Bill. Oh. I'm sorry, Bill. Damn, no people. I'll my... vote for you. Where are my <laughs> <There> you <go>. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Yes, indeed. Uh, by the way, coming up, uh, I mentioned Hunter Walker from uh, Yahoo News will be joining us as a friend of Bill for the next hour. And um, Hunter and I will be joined uh, by a, a very exciting guest, uh, actress Piper Parabo, who is a big uh, political activist that was even arrested during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. I'm very excited to have her join us uh, uh, in studio. As again, we are excited to have Associate Inahosa from the DNC. So, Let's kick off on on that. Uh, there was uh, the little poll from from yesterday. Um, Diane Feinstein, Senator Diane Feinstein, yesterday came out and said, "If Joe Biden runs, I will support him." Basically, endorsing Joe Biden. Um, I had lunch with some friends from California yesterday who were wondering whether or not she uh, informed Kamala Harris <laughs> of her decision ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But at any rate. And also on the 2020 front, yes, a, a, a Governor Martin O'Malley from um, Maryland, who has run twice, uh, has spent a lot of time in Iowa, dropped out after the Iowa caucuses the last time. But as a lot of friends out there, he said he is not running. Surprise me. I always had him on my list. He's not running. And he endorsed Beto O'Rourke. So um, what are you going to do with such a crowded field? Well, first of all, this is a good thing. It is good to have potentially double-digit candidates running for president. We need to put forward the best candidate in order to beat Donald Trump because there is way too much at stake. And the fact that there is so much enthusiasm out there for these candidates, I love the fact that we're having these discussions now, although many of you might not love the fact that the 2020 (laughs) process is starting already. But I do think that this is something that is only going to help Democrats. It's going to engage Democrats. You saw in the last midterm election that people were more engaged than they had been before in previous midterm elections. Oh, now, yeah, if we are able to start this conversation now and get people really out there and motivated and really engaged in the conversation, then I think that we can turn more people out for 2020 and we can end up winning. The role of the DNC What we're doing is making sure that this process is fair. A lot of people felt that the DNC back in 2016 put their thumb on the scale, which is not right. No one should feel like that, whether it's true or not. And what the DNC is doing now is making sure that we are as transparent as possible. And that's why we announce um, even before many of the candidates had gotten into the race, many haven't yet, but before we had a full slate of candidates, that we will have 12 debates starting in June. Um, and we will announce that full schedule very soon. And the reason that we did that is because we didn't want to make it seem like one candidate was going to be favored over the other. Having more debates favors this candidate. Having less debates favors X candidate. Um, and so we made sure of get, getting that out early. And one of the people that we talked to was Martin O'Malley. We talked to all of the candidates 
their campaigns from the 2016 election and previous elections because we wanted to hear from them on what was fair and what was not fair that was done previously. And so this is a good thing for Democrats. This is a really great thing that we have a lot of candidates wanting to run the enthusiasm out there. I'm excited and everyone else should be too. Right. Well, I'm one of those who did feel that the DNC put their thumb on the scale mm-hmm. the last time around. I think the evidence has 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 backed that up. Uh, and I'm not blaming the current leadership because this is a new team, you know, you and, and Chairman Perez and some new members of the DNC. Uh, and But one of the big issues was the debates. You know, how many debates and when they were scheduled, right? Uh, the idea was some of them were scheduled on a Sunday night or a Saturday night when you'd had the smallest possible audience rather than the biggest possible audience. But And the other question... so. Um, so is that something that you're aware, I mean, taking into consideration this time? We take a lot of things into consideration. And one of them is we are the amount of debates that were announced in 2016 initially were six. And now we have doubled that to 12. There were more <laughs> debates than six, but we we believe yeah. that 12 is a good number um, and starting them early enough so that we have more people viewing. We want to make sure that we have the most amount of people, voters watching these debates. We want to make sure that we when we are negotiating with these networks that who, you know, what can how can we get most how how can we get the most eyeballs on these debates? And not only that, but you know, how so, do we make sure that these debates are on issues, not on how big your hand size is, right? I mean, that was in the Republican debate. Yeah, we don't want right. that. We want to talk about healthcare. We want to talk about the economy. So uh, that's these 12 debates, will, are you talking and it could change? As of now, a total of 12, total of 12 or 12 in 2019 and more in 2020 or what are we talking about? That's a great question. It's 12 total, six in 2019, six in 2020. Um, We will do every month in 2019 except for August because that seems to be the month that, you know, Congress is out of session. People go on vacation, things like that. When do they start? They they will start in June of 2019 and the schedule will go all the way and through April of 2020. Super Tuesday, which will be a very big Super Tuesday, is even larger right. in 2020 because now you have California, Texas, and Ohio, all major states. Whoa. The first debate will be this June. Yes. Get ready. Bill, it's coming, whether you like it or not. I, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. So You have to think about, you know, that's, that's not far away at no. all. No. No. And considering the amount of candidates that we've talked about and that have, have expressed interest in running, it's going to be just like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, right. All right, so um, my uh, column, and if you subscribe to our podcast, um, you'll get my column or, or on Twitter. We'll send it out here, my column today. Um, I identified 32, I went over the list of everybody that's indicated some interest in it. Governors, mayors. Senators, former governors, former vice presidents, oh, you know, you know, 32, okay? How are you going to find a big enough stage <laughs> for 32? And by the, I mean, how are you going to handle that? Yeah, that that's a very good question. It's one that we've been talking to the networks and cable news about for a while because we want to make sure that we're not necessarily putting our top five people on stage in June, right? That's a, That puts other candidates at a disadvantage. Yeah. So one of the things that we have been talking about and are trying to work out is having potentially multiple nights 
of primetime coverage for debates. So let's say you have um, a debate on a Tuesday at 8 p.m. Then on Wednesday, you will have another debate at 8 p.m. the following day and potentially even picking the names out of a hat so that you don't necessarily have an undercard debate like Republicans did. And then you had, you know, your varsity and your JV kind of situation. We want to make sure that the first two debates allow the candidates to get their positions out there, um, even if they don't have the largest name recognition, even if they aren't polling um, over 5% in Iowa. And that's because, as you know, when you have over 20 or 20 or so candidates, not everyone is going to break, you know, 5%, 1%, whatever it is, because there's so many, right? So the first two debates, we're making sure we're giving candidates the opportunity to really put their best foot forward, right? And then we will be coming out with, you know, a threshold on how you would qualify for the first two, but we want to make it as inclusive as possible. And then after that, you know, there will be polling, people will vote, you know, in 2020 and whatnot. And once that starts, then you can base it off of polling, but at least give candidates a a level playing field when it comes to the first two debates. Right. Uh, Yeah, the Republicans had 16 candidates and they had to have, as you point out, the varsity and the JV debate, right? Um, Well, we have twice as many candidates and not all of them are going to run. I mean, Mm -hmm. Andrew Cuomo this week said he's not going to run, right? Um, And so is Michael Avenatti. Woo! (laughs) Right? But then there's Richard Ojeda, right? Is that pronounce his name, Peter? Ojeda. Ojeda. Richard Ojeda, yeah. Uh, President Ojeda. I'm sorry, President Ojeda, right? Who's who's never going to drop out. Uh, Well, that's a big challenge. Where will the first debate be held? We haven't announced that yet. We're um, working on media partners for the first two debates, and then we will have a better sense of where those will be. But one thing that we have decided is that the early state debates will be in 2020. So you can count on the 2019 debates not being in early states yet. And you'll have your Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina and Nevada debates in 2020 closer to those primaries. So we allow other states um, and especially states who, which, you know, have um, up and coming electors or electorates that Democrats could potentially win in 2020. And we are able to give those states the opportunity um, to have debates and host debates in 2019. And have the networks indicated uh, any interest in carrying debates? Like you, you mentioned, you might have back to back in yeah. order to get everybody in. Yes. Uh, any of them willing to, to, to do it two nights in a row? Well, we're working with cable and um, network television right now, and we do have some interest there when it comes to back-to-back um, debates because I think people realize that going into 2020, voters care about this a lot. Voters care about who's going to take on Donald Trump, and so there really is interest there, and I'm very hopeful that we will be able to do that, um, at least for the first debate. But I, I would both. think that they'd be uh, interested um, and it, because people, particularly in the beginning, people want to will want to see these players. But with that, let's, let's say it even boils down to 20 candidates or whatever. You might have to have two debates, two nights of two debates each <laughs> to get everybody in, to yeah. give everybody a chance. Yeah. That's very that's very true. We might have to have two back to back debates um, 
we'll see. We'll see what you know where how this pans out. But we are preparing for a double digit field, right. and that is part of the preparation. Is these conversations are happening at the DNC and with networks and cable? Is how do you accommodate that large of a field? You know, you want to make it as productive as possible. You don't necessarily want just every candidate to have only one minute on stage, um, but you want to make sure that you give everybody a chance. So. Are the candidates themselves part of this decision-making process? They are not. Um, the only can the only people we have been talking to are former candidates. So 2016 campaigns, um, we you know President Obama's campaign, previous campaigns, and just talking about what worked, what didn't work in those cycles. How well, do you deal with a large field? Wouldn't how you, you want to hear from this year's candidates or this this term's candidates about what they think would be fair? Absolutely. Um, one of the things is we want to make sure that we are being fair at the DNC. And with so many candidates um, and with, with such a large field, we don't want to miss anybody, right? There is a chance yeah. that if you go to every campaign, you might miss somebody. And we don't. We want to make sure that we are not. We are including everybody, and so it becomes a little difficult mm -hmm. to consult with every campaign potentially when they haven't necessarily announced yet. So part of what we've done is we've done our due diligence to talk to previous campaigns, previous Democratic officials, um, and state party leaders. Um, in specifically in Iowa, New Hampshire, in the early states, but also, you know, people who have done debates in places like South Carolina. Jamie Harrison is one who is mm -hmm. helping us a lot. Um, Karen Finney, who worked at the DNC before, is helping us a lot. These are people who have the experience with debates, who have worked on presidential campaigns, who've done this in previous cycles, so that we have the institutional knowledge, but yet we're doing things in an innovative way to make sure that we are adapting to this, to the media now. Now you have Twitter, which wasn't necessary. Right. Every right. year, Twitter is something that is larger and larger in campaigns. And so we are adapting to what is, we, we think the media landscape will be in 2020. Uh, well, just a word of unsolicited advice from a former <laughs> chair of the California Democratic Party. I think at some point, um, you, the chairman, whatever, have to reach out to everybody who's running in 20, mm. for 2020. Because if you don't, you're you're going to get complaints. Yeah. And 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 even if you miss one, right, that person's going to be out there saying, "You see, the DNC isn't fair, right?" At least, and some of them may have some good ideas about Definitely. what they think would work and what what might not work. So you're not sure where the first uh, debate's going to be. Mm -hmm. Where is the uh, 2020 convention going to be? <laughs> we are making a decision on that. It is narrowed down to three cities so Whoa, far. All right. So we um, let's Mil vote. <laughs> let's let's vote. Um, so uh, Milwaukee, Houston, and Miami are the three finalists, um, and we have been doing site visits to those three cities to figure out things like. How many hotels do they have? Do are they in the vicinity of the you know potential venue? What is tr public transportation like? Can they house this many people? Can they accommodate this many people? Um, and so that's those are things that we are currently looking at. It's down to those three, which I think are all fantastic cities, um, and we hope to make a decision in the next month or two. Milwaukee, Houston. Uh, Miami. Uh, and the convention will be in July? It will be in July. It will right. be earlier than most Miami, years. Miami, out. <laughs> Houston, out. <laughs>
<laughs> See, you didn't you didn't grow up in you didn't grow up in a state like Texas. I'm used to the heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm just thinking, Milwaukee, the temperature might be better, right? I heard Milwaukee's nice in July. Texas is gonna be a little hot. Texas, Texas, yeah. I'm also thinking about are you is one consideration the political or the possibility of carrying that state in 2020? I mean, so Miami, you know. Um, yeah, borderline maybe we we almost won Miami with the governorship this year, mm-hmm. so maybe having a convention there would help. Houston, Beto O'Rourke mm-hmm. almost won the Senate race there, and Wisconsin. Damn, we need Wisconsin back. <laughs> yeah, all and we got the governorship. There. I will say and, that all three of this uh, those states yeah. um, really have big political implications, and right. they are really three mm-hmm. states that Democrats. Um, will be competing in. And if yeah. we compete in those states, as you saw with all three of them, we've come very close, right? So I think that all three of them will be critical. And if whichever one we pick will uh, really send a clear message in 2020. Um, I have to say that yesterday was a great day for the country and certainly a great day for the Democratic Party and certainly a great day for Democratic women um, looking at the new House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that say about moving forward for the Democratic National Committee and the Democratic Party? Well, it's fantastic. The fact that, first of all, we Nancy Pelosi made history again um, in becoming a you know, woman speaker and also just the amount of women that we have in Congress just shows where the Democratic Party is. Um, and it Frankly, it's in stark contrast with the Republican Party. While you have record women coming to Congress on the Democratic side, you're not seeing the same diversity happening on the Republican side. Yeah, and they went down. They, in terms of they, yeah, they went down in that and diversity. And so I think that when, especially when you look at the new Congress, it also just shows where our country is and what they voted on. Right? They voted. They didn't vote for the wall this last um, election. They voted to be have a check on Donald Trump. They voted to make sure that we expand access to health care. Um, they voted because they don't like tax cuts for the rich. These are all of the things they, you know, American voters checked the Democratic agenda and voted for the Democratic agenda in November. And I'm really excited to see the diversity because you know what? Diversity matters when you're passing legislation that reflects the entire country and that helps everybody in this country. So we're ex- extremely excited about it. Uh, and one of the things it, it really reflects is the great job. Uh, and the DNC was very much part of that job, as well as the um, the Democratic uh, House the campaign committee. Mm-hmm. Um is the recruiting of candidates. Mm-hmm. I mean, reaching out to, particularly to women, to women of color, mm-hmm. to younger women, mm-hmm. uh, and encouraging them. I mean, a lot of them came forth on their own, mm-hmm. right? But uh, whether they came forth their own or you recruited them, getting them the training that they needed, yes. the resources that they needed. Um, there were house races that I, that I saw where People raised more money than historically than had ever been raised in yeah. house races through small contributions. Definitely. Right? Definitely. So. And I think that I think a lot of candidates, these are first time candidates. And you're right with the training. A lot of them, they don't know necessarily how to put together a finance plan. They didn't know how to put together a team. And these are first time candidates that have never worked in politics before, which is 
it beautiful, the same, you know, which is great. Um, but they needed some help as well. And so the DCCC did a lot of work with recruiting candidates. They had record number of veterans, um, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, they um, we've and I think the best part about this is that this last election was the first time that you saw a democratic infrastructure, not just the DNC, not just the DCCC, not just state parties, but um, organizations like Indivisible, um, like Run for Something, all of these pop-up organizations that came up after the 2016 election, there was a lot of questions about where will they fit in the Democratic Party? Will they have a role in the Democratic Party? Are they taking away money from the Democratic Party? We saw that infrastructure working together and elect Democrats um nationwide which is fantastic oh no the energy of all those organizations combined uh well we saw the result yesterday yes. it really it really did work definitely and we'll keep that grassroots power going through 2020 uh 2020 is going to be another good year <laughs> so she it's great to see you great to be our with very you. best to sebastian oh, thank all right. you so we much we look forward to having him as a guest uh, pretty soon here on the show <laughs> definitely. all right and when we come back hunter walker joins us from yahoo news quick break this we'll be right back is the bill press show hey friends don't be a stranger keep up to date with all of the bill press show happenings around the clock on social media here's how you can follow us on twitter at bp show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It is day 14 of the government shutdown, and Donald Trump says, I ain't budget until I get my wall. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Friday. Friday, January 4, and this is the Bill, the Bill Press Show with me and you. We make up the Bill Press Show. Taking a look at all the big headlines of the day, the latest news, and there's a lot of it today, uh, particularly right here from Capitol Hill, and that's where we are, right down the street from the United States Capitol building, where yesterday Nancy Pelosi from San Francisco regained the gavel and is once again the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the first woman to hold that post and the first person in 64 years to hold it twice holding it, losing it, and getting it back. Uh, history made in many ways on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday. All in all, a huge power shift where uh, Congress reasserting its role as a co-equal branch of government, something which Donald Trump is going to have to uh, deal with. It's good to have you with us today. Look forward to hearing your comments on Twitter at BP Show, your comments on all the news of the day. As we always say, you are our most important guests. Uh, so let us know what you think about the out uh, the makeup of the new House of Representatives and the chances of coming together uh, to Democrats and Republicans coming together 
to end the government shutdown, a first step in that direction yesterday with legislation passed by the brand new House to reopen the government. Now it's up to the Senate and the president as to whether they will go along with that. Again, your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right in, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Yeah. Bill, how you feeling? You a little bored? Uh, no, I'm not bored at all. All right, neither uh-uh. am I, but here's the thing. It turns out being bored is actually good for you. And there are some scientists that have spoken up and said, hey, you know, now we've got these phones in our pockets. You've got, uh, yeah. you know, all sorts of distractions to keep us from being bored. And the problem is we are supposed to feel bored sometimes. Our brains need that rest, need that sort of uh, time to just reset, have a little time away from distraction. And so all these phones are really bad for us, which is, you know. Uh, I, I, I call BS on that. I don't believe it for a second. You don't I, don't think wanna, I don't want to be bored. No, anything I think it's but. Okay be, but well, I mean, there, I'm not saying that you should be bored all the time, but you should be able to rest your brain sometimes. Well, take a nap. That's what I do. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. By the way, we also had a major problem yesterday. An astronaut, a Russian astronaut, uh, Andre Kuypers, he was trying to phone home from space, except he accidentally dialed the wrong number. He dialed 911. Well... Did they go to his They did not go to see him in space. In fact, the Johnson Space Center in Texas completely freaked out and figured out what tried to figure out what was going on. Uh, then he said, yeah. "Oh geez, I meant to type 011, the you know, oh, to, to dial uh, internationally, yeah. but he accidentally dialed 911, uh, which which was not good. Not good. Everything's fine. The they didn't EMT rush were on the job. They were, yeah, the EMTs were not going up to space. And by the way, it wasn't so long ago we talked about how Kevin Hart, the comedian, uh, left his Oscar-hosting duties. Well, it turns yes. out he might be coming back. He will be making an appearance today on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Ellen actually came to his defense and said uh, it should be reconsidered whether or not he is the host. And he says that he has reconsidered it. He spent a lot of time thinking about it, and he will talk about it with her today. So maybe, maybe he will be coming back. Why doesn't she do it again? Sure, she would be great. I don't know that she wants it. But she did once, right? She did, yeah. I thought she, uh, Absolutely. I, I remember her being pretty good. Yeah, she was pretty good. I just love that the, apparently the PR playbook for a homophobia controversy is like, go to Ellen. Go to Ellen. She will oh. cleanse you. <laughs> <laughs> Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. A new day in Washington, a new sheriff in charge of the House, and she is Nancy Pelosi. What do you say, everybody? Happy Friday. Friday, January 4, The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. Great to see you today, and look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show, as we reach out to you nationwide from our studio on Capitol Hill. Good to join you all across this great land of ours online, on television, and on the radio. Thanks for being with us. And join me in welcoming, as a friend of Bill here for the next hour, 
from Yahoo News uh, covering the White House and anything else going on. Uh, Hunter Walker, Happy New Year, Hunter. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> and so why didn't you tell me there was going to be a briefing yesterday at the White House? <laughs> Well, you know, I, mean, there's... I, I would have come down if I'd known there was going to be a briefing. They, yeah. They announced them 24 hours ahead of time, right? No, no. So so there have been, let, let's go through all the necessary caveats here. There have been four briefings since last September, mm-hmm. not counting yesterday's. And we'll right. get into why I'm not counting yesterday's in a moment. Right. So basically it's boiled down to one a month. Right. In prior administrations and earlier in Trump's tenure, this was a multiple times a week deal. And normally in those prior administrations and earlier in Trump's tenure, it was announced the night before. Right. I actually double checked this yesterday and the you know monthly briefings that Sarah has held, they've all been about 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. which is farcical. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been announced about an hour or two ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's... Um, was announced via the White House loudspeaker system with a five-minute warning, which is essentially unprecedented and also unworkable for people like you and I who, you know, are not glued to our desk in the windowless White House basement um, where we can't speak to sources. Um. Yeah, no, the only people who could potentially make a briefing and quick are the people, as you say, who work there every day, all day long yeah. at their... News organizations. At their tiny little... Workspace. Yeah, in our in our submarine like quarters down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, big news organizations are constantly staffing the White House. They have shifts and thank God they have these large teams because moments like yesterday, no one would have been there right. if not for them. I mean, right. I know people I, I didn't see, you know, the seats, but I know people were saying that there were not there was not a full house, even, you know, with that. So, you know, there was this bizarre five minute warning. Um, And then, and you know, one thing I love about this White House and the way they've handled briefings is it's always late. Mm-hmm. It's always late. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I said to my, I was on a phone call with my bosses and I'm, I'm about 15 minutes away. And when they gave the five minute warning, I said, do you want me to go? Um, and they were like, no, 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 you can't make it. And I was like, no, it, it'll be more than five minutes. And lo and behold, it was about 25 minutes away. Mm. So you have to, you know, I... Did I, you make it? No, I didn't. Yeah. My, my boss said, yeah. forget it. And I'm so glad I didn't, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a moment. Right. Um, but, you know, I really, like, I, I get stuck on sort of this low-level, I use a word I can't say on the radio, but 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 low-level yeah. hijinks that the, the press office likes to engage in, such as giving a five-minute warning when you actually know you have a half hour. Or the press aide who told me the other day when um, Mick Mulvaney got named acting chief of staff, um, no one's up here to talk to you. I'm not lying to you. And then I heard them talking in their office and waited and got comment. So it's that low level, totally unnecessary lying and just making our lives harder that is just kind of toxic and weird and 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 that was on display so, before it even got weirder yesterday <laughs> and then it did and what what was most weird is that <laughs> uh with this five minute warning which turned out to be 25 minutes the door opens and in walks not the press secretary but the, well, well sarah came out well, sarah first came out. okay and then but, sarah said and i really want to harp on this quote i want people to remember this quote she said ladies and gentlemen we have a special guest quote our great president donald j trump Really, really. Oh, now, she didn't sneak in any praise about his golf game, but she said, our yeah. great president, Donald J. Trump. 
and then in walked the president for his first ever momentous briefing room appearance. With and stands there with four bald white guys in back of him. There, there were seven height. guys and one woman. Oh, okay. um, four, th- I, never, I didn't see the woman at all. Yeah, three, three, yeah, really? three men spoke, and and let's be very clear because people are saying these are border patrol agents. These are not border patrol agents necessarily. Mm-hmm. These are border patrol union reps. For example, yeah. the woman, as far as I can tell, she was based in Louisiana. You know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. the the union uh, does not represent every border patrol agent. And it also represents support staff. So these guys were essentially, um, and I think in at least one case, it was someone who had been a Border Patrol agent on the northern border um, and now works for the union. So this is essentially an advocacy group that represents some Border Patrol agents and support staff. But Trump trots them out, makes brief remarks about how, you know, these guys are, quote unquote, stalwart. And, you know, they're going to talk about how. Um, we need a wall or a barrier or whatever you want to call it, he said. And then three of the guys spoke, um, and kind of, not the woman, and gave their wall spiel. Yeah, right. And this was clearly an effort on the part of the White House and Donald Trump to steal the show from Nancy Pelosi, right? Ah. I mean, you know, as people have been pointing out that that, you know, the last time she kind of had a big moment, President Trump uh, scheduled a 90 minute press conference. I think he was on the campaign trail at the time. Um, you know, it's certainly I, I I could never purport to get into their mind. No, but but, but I mean, it, it, why it, why that that time those people. Right. It, it, it was either an effort to, you know, crap on her big day or just part of the ongoing brinksmanship, um, you know, around this shutdown. But what it was not was a press briefing. And what it was not was the annual appearance that prior presidents have made at the end of the year where they stand behind the briefing room podium and take questions. It was not that. It was, you know, it was a publicity stunt from a White House that has shunned the briefing room Amid an ongoing and extensive and unprecedented retreat from the press. So, so, you know, you and I have talked about the White House transparency, access, the various venues. Let me tell you, and I've given them, uh, you know, cookies and credits when they've deserved it. Right. In the past month or so, they have retreated to an unprecedented level. They deserve no credit. And that made yesterday's publicity stunt particularly egregious. It was, so we are in, this is day 14 Mm -hmm. uh, of the shutdown, and the message from Donald Trump at the podium yesterday, and the message from uh, Mike Pence on Fox News last night with Tucker Carlson was the same. Uh, Here's Pence, I guess, right? Let let him say it. We're here to make a deal, but it's a deal that's going to result in achieving real gains on border security, and you have no border security without a wall. We will have no deal without a wall. No deal without a wall. By the way, that every time they say we're here to make a deal, uh, making a deal does mean giving something in return for getting something, right? Well, uh, l- let me let me just say my favorite articulator of the message, and I'm pulling this up from Twitter. Please. I hope yeah. this works. But this is Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen testifying in front of Congress. We also need to change some of the countries with Mexico to help vulnerable populations as soon as possible. From Congress, I would ask for wall. We need wall. We also need to change. We need wall. We need wall. We need wall. (laughs) We need wall. We don't need 
grammar, apparently, but we need wall. <laughs> By the way, I'm, my job is feeling but, very threatened right now. I'm sorry, I'm Peter. Just, I'm, I'm just sorry. playing audio. I, 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 said, <laughs> I just show myself out. No. <laughs> this is a historic first. I feel so unnecessary. A historic first on the Bill Press Show. The first time a guest has actually picked up the iPhone and played sound from the iPhone. I respect it. Well done. I do, I do you too. Know, I, yeah. I grew up on Fred Norris. I had to there go There you for go. It. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we need wall. All right. So yesterday, so, so the strategy for the White House clearly is uh, they don't give a damn about the shutdown. The shutdown can last as long as, 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 as you know, there's no end to it. They're going to get their money. Well, look, I, I want to, I have sort of a, a contrarian view okay. on this whole thing. The first is that, you know, a government shutdown for everyone in government, and this is the White House, this is Congress, what have you. It's the ultimate you had one job situation. The job is to keep the government at least opening and functional. Right. And they are currently all failing in that job. Now, totally, Donald Trump said in that infamous Oval meeting with Chuck and Nancy, I will take the mantle. This is his shutdown. He is ultimately to blame. The Democrats have made that point, and it's fair. And he didn't, you know, re reject yeah, that no. at first. Right. Okay, cool. But, you know, the blame game is one thing. But right now, government is not functioning. Low-paid federal workers are really suffering some right now, particularly contractors. Yep. Um, people are seeing their homes and, you know, their, their rent, their, their, their lives are in jeopardy right now. And, and so, you know. And they've missed at least one paycheck. Right. So I don't think that, you know, we can sit here and talk about who's at fault or not. This needs to get working. And at some point that's everyone's fault. And I, and I think part of the reason for that is that, you know, I, I in 2013 drove along much, much of the border with Mexico. There was fencing, right? We have always had this type of money appropriated for border security. In fact, in earlier packages, Dems were okay with 25 billion in one case where it would be exchanged for DACA. And in another case where it was 25 billion over 10 years, it just wasn't going to be immediate. So, you know, and I have no doubt that under Which Donald um, Trump rejected. Right. But I, but I have no doubt that under President Hillary Clinton and we saw this under President Obama, billions would be spent on border security, including physical barriers that we've had for years. Not a concrete wall. No. So, you know, so and, I mean, that that's the distinction, I think, that Donald Trump makes. He right. keeps coming back to. He wants a physical concrete wall. We well, played well, several clips in the last he, couple he of days. He says that, and it's BS. And and what I mean is that you know on the campaign trail, what he promised was a thirty-foot high concrete wall that Mexico was going to pay for. Right. Um, you know, I've talked to Mexican finance ministers. Everybody's heard this from Mexico. The the one I talked to said we will in Spanish we will not pay for the wall. Not now. Not in any moment. He used like three negatives to, to tell me how they wouldn't pay for the wall. So we know the Trump campaign promise of a wall is a lie. He's moved away from that. In the briefing room yesterday he said a barrier whatever you want to call it. He had his drawing of steel slats. Even if he gets his 5.6 billion it covers other measures as well as 250 miles of barriers. So so no matter what they give him, if they gave him everything he wanted right now, 
it would not be the wall. And Mexico would not be paying right, for it. Right. This is that, tax. I mean, I was at the White House the other day and we asked, you know, um, Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, you know, why are we talking about taxpayer funds when Mexico is supposed to pay for it? And they ignored that question. But here's what the Democrats ignored, because Chuck and Nancy were there, too. And they ignored it when I said to them, is this a missed opportunity to go for a DACA deal? And they just ignored that question. And, you know, you're seeing from Congresswoman Jackie Spire, um, Lindsey Graham on the Republican side, other people who are trying to at least float the notion of a compromise um, around DACA or a compromise around the 2013 immigration reform plan. And instead, you're seeing Nancy Pelosi, in her own words, float a Republican budget package that um, she knows the president won't sign. So I'm not going to say the Democrats are being productive. Let me push back there. As Nancy said yesterday, Mm -hmm. they took the bill that the Senate passed in the 115th Congress, the last two weeks of December, word for word. Totally. So that's a Republican bill. Word for word. Republican bill. Yep. And they sent it back to the Senate yesterday. And Mitch McConnell says, I'm not even going to take it up for a vote. Now, two weeks ago, he took it up for a vote. His He had Republican senators who were part of that, who put together that deal. Republicans right. control the Senate. Then they control it now. And this is what they came up with. And Paul Ryan wouldn't even consider it. Nancy Pelosi passed it word for word, sends it back to Mitch McConnell. What has changed in the last two weeks? Nothing, uh, well, what's changed in the last two weeks is now Trump has indicated that he wouldn't support that. Well, why wouldn't Congress still pass the bill and send it to him? Call his bluff. Fair, but McConnell said he won't send anything up that won't become law. So so I, everything that you've said is correct, right? But, but what I'm hearing BS from... to McConnell. Well, what I'm hearing from some Democrats is, why are we doing that? And what I mean is, why are we essentially unproductively banging our head against the wall? I'll tell you and, why. Because well, the, well, hold on, hold on the for wall a is a dumb idea. Hold on for a second. It's a bad idea, and it's never going to be built. You know, you know as well as I do, there's never going to be a concrete wall on Absolutely. the Mexican border. I, and there would not and be. So, and there would not screw be. It. There would not be a concrete wall on the Mexican border if we gave Donald Trump $5 billion. There would not be a concrete wall on the Mexican border if we gave Donald Trump $25 billion. So, the, I mean, the, the wall on the border is preposterous. But, you know, what they are doing is essentially banging their head against the wall and unproductively throwing out a spending package that they know McConnell's not bringing to the floor. Now, I know there's some optics in that and what have you, but for the people whose lives are at risk with a shutdown. For the people whose lives are at risk on so, DACA, I would argue there's higher concerns. So you're than, saying that Democrats ought to cave to Donald Trump? No, I'm not saying that. But but I'm saying this: what is such a bold stance about throwing out Repub- uh, a, a Republican spending package? That's their bold stance. If they're going to throw out something that Donald Trump is not going to sign, right? Why not? Try to go for DACA right now. Why not try to go for a win? Because the price is the wall. No, no, the price is $5 billion that you hand Donald Trump and he wastes to create a 250-mile slat thing that you can then point to repeatedly and say, man, that's a waste when we're so debt-ridden and the economy is tanking, and and it's not what you promised. Okay, let me just say this, right? Um, that Democrats did not get elected, did not win 40 seats in the House of Representatives to cave into Donald Trump or to give Donald Trump $5 billion for his freaking wall. And they're not going to do it. And I don't think they should do it. But, well, well, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you I want to ask you the yeah. question, too. I mean, so you're, you're laying this on the Democrats right. saying that they're making a big mistake. 
Do you think this is a good strategy for the Republicans and for Donald Trump? I mean, do you think Donald I, I Trump? I don't think anyone's. Is, do I don't you think, think Donald Trump is winning this war. The government I think he's losing this war. The government is shut down, so no one is doing a good job right now. And whose fault is that? I, again, ultimately, Donald Trump said, "I take the mantle for this shutdown." Yeah. Right? No question about that. But but no one can pat themselves on the back right now, and I don't think anyone is doing a good strategy right now because both. And and again, you know, let me let me caveat everything I'm saying here. Everything that I just told you, you know, is things I'm hearing in recent days from some Democrats. These are, you know, lower level aides, maybe even members who are starting to get a little frustrated with the Pelosi strategy. The murmurs are beginning. Right. But what what I've heard from both sides is, you know, initially heading into the earlier part of this shutdown, um, Pelosi was very comfortable letting it stretch long because she was confident that ultimately the public would continue to blame Trump for this. The Republicans are confident that, you know, their base wants the wall and will blame Democrats for not compromising. Republicans are even saying that if Donald Trump doesn't get the wall, there's no way he can get reelected in 2020. Then that may be true, but he's never getting the wall. The wall is a myth. The wall is not happening with five billion dollars. It's not happening with twenty five billion dollars. Right. So I think the but, whole idea, you know, to, to pretend that the wall is on the table is actually stupid for Democrats because the wall is Donald Trump's wall was a lie and a myth. It will never exist. And so don't create a world where so, you hand him but, chump change that doesn't build a wall. Right. And and pretend and allow him to pretend it's wall funding. There well, is no wall funding. I, I think there's an internal contradiction in what you're saying. The wall's never going to be built, so don't give him a damn dollar for it. Well, a dollar. That's what Nancy Pelosi look, said look, yesterday. By the way, we, I want to point we out. We do have to work together in government, you yeah, know. Right. And, and well, so uh, well, if he wants to burn but, a couple billion dollars, is that a worthwhile price to pay for DACA? I'd argue a lot of families By the way, we do have to yes. work together for government, which, which is why, again, yeah. I come back to you. This is a great <laughs> discussion. That to take the Republican plan— Yeah. Passed word for word by the Republican Senate, controlled Senate, and for the House to pass that is not playing games. That is working together. That is working together. That's saying, okay, Mitch, you sent this bill over. Guess what? We're taking it. 100%. 100%. But McConnell was obstructing, which to me, guess what, means it's it's another week in Washington. I mean, <laughs> we've seen that movie before. I mean, totally. That was a that was a very reasonable. If anything, if anything, what I'm hearing from people is some Democrats are saying, man, that was too generous of Pelosi. Try to oh, get more oh, out of McConnell. Oh. Don't offer him such a generous Oh, no, thing. no, no. That's true. She's been criticized for, for putting any money in there for border security or for the wall. But, but you know, they did. But... Also, I, I just want to point out there are also yeah. some Republicans, not many now, two by name, Cory Gardner and Susan mm-hmm. Collins yesterday, who came out and said to, about Mitch McConnell's strategy, yeah. come on, you know, you are putting us out on a limb here unnecessarily. Cory Gardner said it best. I thought he said, hey, we passed this two weeks ago. Why don't we pass it again? Well, well, I th- mean, this let's gets, not play games. This gets back to what I was what I was saying before, which is that both sides are sort of buckling up for the long haul and confident the other side will ultimately be blamed. Now, one of those two groups is either wrong or lying. And what I I think is that it's, you know, uh, my editor, I was talking to this about him, uh, Jerry Adler, formerly of Newsweek, he's a brilliant guy, and he said that sort of betting on public opinion to go your way is like riding a tiger. It's so fickle. 
And the way these shutdowns go, the effects become, we're seeing it now, like the museums finally closed this week. Um, the the effects become bigger and bigger as time goes on because, you know, residual budgets are eaten up, right? And I think it's possible for both sides that, you know, we're going to move to a phase where the public just has general anger. And it's not, you know, directed one specific direction or the other. The public wants government to run. Don't you think at some point that... Uh Donald Trump is going to have to um, bend. Someone's or... going to have to bend. Or... <laughs> I mean, you know, the highways are going to start getting, it's going to be the walking dead out there. <laughs> right. uh, By the way, I had a great commute over here this morning because no one is out. <laughs> it's, uh, traffic is so light. Traffic yeah. is so light these days. Meanwhile, I went to the gym yesterday, and between the people on the resolutions and all the furloughed workers, oh, I, I, I was shoulder to shoulder during my workout. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the victim here. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you in Pilates class. Um, what is? I, I want to ask you about one. Uh, by, by the way, we're going to be joined uh, very shortly here by Piper Perabo, great actress and a great political activist, uh, uh, to talk about. Her experience, um, she was there yesterday, very much uh, front and center uh, with the uh, swearing in of the new House members and uh, was very active in the 2018 uh, midterms and talked to her about uh, what it's like to be a celebrity out there as a political activist. Uh, But kind of related to that, uh, you did a profile a few months ago about Cory Booker. Yeah. So... um, any doubt in your mind that uh, he's in? <laughs> you know, I I was with him recently in Iowa um, and also South Carolina. And we all, all know right. why. That answers the question. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I mean, I would be very shocked at this point um, if he doesn't jump in. Um, I think part of the reason I talked to sources close to Elizabeth Warren, part of the reason we saw her, you know, do that New Year's Eve video is that, you know, she uh, sources close to her told me that she wanted to get an early start. And I think everyone is expecting that the next four-ish weeks are going to be filled with announcements from the like of from the likes of Booker, from the likes of Harris, from the likes of Gillibrand. Um, you know, all of those folks maintain. Um, you know, what Warren, Warren and Castro are the only ones uh, in the sort of bigger level who are officially in. Uh, tomorrow, Julian Castro is going to make the official announcement. He's... Right. He, he was exploring, I think, initially. Yeah, right. um, he was experimenting. <laughs> so we said yesterday he's called this big. In fact, I got an email, a, a mass email, not personal, yeah, yeah. Uh, inviting me to the big block party that he's holding in San Antonio with his brother and his mother and his grandmother uh, to announce whether or not he's running for president. Oh, yeah, yeah, hello. Yeah, I mean, I, I love how these people kind of do the announcements and drips and drabs right now. I mean, it's part it, of the game. It, it was one of the things I loved about 2016 where, like, you know, Hillary did the announcement video. Um, and then a couple weeks later, it was like, come to Roosevelt Island where I'm announcing my campaign. Mm-hmm. And I... I was editing Business Insider at the time, and I had a, a bug up my butt about it. And was basically, I would refer to those things in headlines too. It's like this is the second announcement, this is the third yeah, announcement. Yeah, Hillary right. announces again. So, right. so you know, the Castro is heading towards, I guess, announcement number one and a half. <laughs> uh, the contrast uh, in 2016 was Bernie Sanders, who walked out uh, to the um, I forget what they call that right outside the Senate there, uh, where the. the, the yeah, no, no, this is in, one of, in good weather. Uh, senators will meet with reporters, and he had about, and he started out by just saying, 
Uh, let's get this over with fast because yes. I got to get back and vote. I am you, you, <laughs> you, right? <laughs> you are bringing up pretty much my favorite moment of 2016, which is Bernie's announcement before basically he and his people realized what a big wave he was going to be riding. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, yeah. and he walked out there on a very bright day in front of the Capitol. And you're actually wrong. The oh, first thing oh, Bernie Sanders okay, said, sorry. shielding his eyes from the sun, was, oh, oh. <laughs> And then he said, I should have brought my visor. Yeah, he said, oh, and then he said, all right, let's get this over with. I got to go vote. <laughs> but, but I really am sorry to factually correct you there, okay, Bill. I think no, the, right, I think though. the, oh, is, I think the idea that Bernie Sanders basically started his campaign with oi is, is one of, one of the highlights of 2016. Hey, that'll sit on a bumper sticker, man. Yeah, <laughs> it all began with oi. <laughs> I'm Jewish. I can say this. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, um, then they realized like that their message was really catching on with people. And he did this huge event on the Burlington waterfront with thousands of people and, it yeah, was never less was... than five thousand people from then on. Right. But but that first moment was oh, no. amazing. Yeah, and that whole the whole way of the announcement, the downplaying the announcement of basically it was a pain in the ass. Let's get it over with. <laughs> That's so Bernie. It was, it was so <laughs> peak was, Bernie Sanders. So Bernie. I, I would encourage you have to dig on YouTube because the first announcement got buried by the second. But I would encourage any listener oh, yeah. who's into this stuff to dig up the Bernie Sanders announcement. All right. Hunter Walker stays with us here as a friend of Bill. You know her from the big screen and the little screen, and we know her from her great efforts uh, on behalf particularly of Democratic candidates uh, as a political activist, uh, actress, and and uh, political activist, Piper Perabo. Coming up next here, joining us on the Bill Press Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, thank you all very, very much for, for uh, being out here today. Let me... This is the Bill Press Show. There was Hunter. That was the whoa. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, hello, everybody. We are back. Yes, yeah. yeah, we're just uh, playing around a little bit here on the Bill Press Show this Friday, January 4. Thanks for being with us as we join you coast to coast uh, online, on the radio, and on television. Uh, Hunter Walker from Yahoo News here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. I'm very excited. Uh, to welcome a uh, great political activist now, but we know her best perhaps from um, Covert Affairs uh, on the USA Network and the film Coyote Ugly, actress <laughs> Piper Perabo. Hello. Hi, nice to morning. see you. Thanks to be here. I wow. just have to admit, I'm having you a little are. bit of a freak out because <laughs> two of my favorite movies, The Prestige and Looper, you're the in. Thanks. And I'm so excited to oh, get you in the so studio. Nice <laughs> I love those that's movies. So nice yeah. you, you didn't reference my appearance like in the background in like four scenes in the Anthony Weiner documentary. <laughs> Come on, Peter. We have two movie stars. Movie. We have two movie stars in the studio. I guess. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, oh, that's right. You were in a movie too. You forgot oh, my my awkward. starring role in Out of Bounds. <laughs> that's right. I've totally movie forgot that about quickly that. Quickly dropped off the face of the earth. Starring but. Dennis Rodman, right? No, really. And who else was in it? I was it Michael know. Anthony Hall? Yes. Yeah, Michael Anthony Hall yes. and Dennis Rodman. Right, right. That's amazing. And directed by my friend Richard Tuggle. Anyhow. I might be watching I'm pulling up your guy. IMDb page <laughs> as no, we listen, speak. I have tried, downloading that this I, evening. I have tried so hard to find that movie, and I haven't I, I, found it's it It's not yet. on iTunes? I don't think so. Well, the problem is- Bill, you've got a couple listings here. <laughs> All right, I'm seeing that you're you're known for oh. the the TV series Sisters, the 1991 oh, to 96 TV series Sisters, where you played reporter. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
The, the yeah. sisters were apparently Swoozy Kurtz and Celia Ward. Oh. I watched that show. I 100% watched that show. <laughs> I remember right. you being on. You're a Swoozy fanatic? All right. Now, that we, for all, Swoozy? now that we all have, all have our screen credentials <laughs> on the table, right? <laughs> Welcome. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Big day yesterday, huh? Oh, my gosh. Huge day. Yeah. It was so exciting being in Congress yesterday. You were there? I, know. I was running around... Uh, the Russell Building and the Rayburn Building and getting lost and going to meet people was amazing. And uh, who are the, uh, the new members of the House that you're most excited about? I'm most excited about Andy Kim from the New Jersey 3rd. That's the district where I grew up. Oh, and so I yeah. worked really hard on that campaign. First Asian American to represent New Jersey ever. There were so many firsts. Yeah. I mean, it really, is, yeah. put party aside, whatever, historic, right? that the first two Muslim American women, the first two Native American women, the first African American from Connecticut, the first African American woman from Massachusetts, the first, first Asian American from New Jersey. Are first Latina all? from Texas. Yes. The yeah, first uh, the first um, bi member of Congress. That's right. In, in Kirsten Cinema. Cinema. Yep. Yeah. Did you see the, the viral tweet? Uh, with the books by in the center. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with the books for the swearing with in. All the holy it books. was a Jewish Tanakh, a, a Buddhist sutra, oh, and, no, and the Bhagavad Gita was there. And, I mean, it, it was, was really. It was pretty telling. American. Yeah. And Kirsten Cinema swore uh, she uh, used a book of law. Yeah, think, when she was sworn in. Oh, she, that's she interesting. Use, yeah, she She's like one of the first religious. atheists in yeah, Congress, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Cool. Whoa. Yeah. Did you Which see that? Which is pretty amazing because Mike Pence had to hold this book That's of what law I was going to say. Did you see <laughs> that his hands burn? Pence. She was giving him some shade. <laughs> so why, how the transition or what what prompted you from, um, uh, you know, your role as an actress to really getting involved in politics? That's it, a big leap. It was a big leap. Um, the Access Hollywood tapes sort of blew my mind. And I remember standing there in my living room hearing that on the news, and I sort of felt like uh, all of us, I felt like a kid. I felt so shocked and naive, and I thought, do I not understand the country I'm living in? Just hearing them laughing was this strange, you know, he was the nominee for president. It was so terrifying, kind of, as a woman, or maybe even as a person. And when he won, I sort of sobbed for three days and decided I either needed to do something or I'm going to go careening into, you know, sadness. And so I just started calling everyone I knew. And I was like, okay, who's running for Congress? What are we doing? What's the legislative races this year? Like, I worked on the Doug Jones campaign uh, that December, that, that first special election that mm, came up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even really know what I was doing. I was like, Sh- you want me to fundraise or drive people to the polls? Or how does this work? <laughs> Had you ever been to Alabama? <laughs> no. I started calling everyone I knew who was from Alabama or went to college there. I didn't even know how to start, but it was exciting as soon as it started because I felt like, oh, we can really move the ball down the field if we work together. I might say you're probably one of 15 million people who had that same reaction. <laughs> I mean, that, that certainly did prompt a lot of political activism, particularly among women. But but, but I will say that the new woke celebrities are, is one of my favorite features of politics right now. Really? Um, because we get moments like the Kavanaugh hearings where he's just losing it and there's Alyssa Milano right, sitting will... in the background. And it's like it really underscores the surreality of the, the current moment. Or like when as a White House reporter, sometimes I'll get like... Like tweeted at by Cher, and it's right. like, oh hi, Cher. Like, like do it you believe in good governance? Everybody's paying attention. <laughs> yes. You know, there's no place where this doesn't reach, and people 
couldn't take it anymore. So I, I have to ask you with the Andy Kim shout out there, are you from Westfield or which town oh, here? Oh, God, here we I'm go. Sorry, we got we to oh. do this New York bingo game here. Wait, where are you from New Jersey? I'm from Brooklyn, but my cousins live in Westfield. I'm from Tom's River. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Little League Champs. Yeah, Little League thanks Champs. for knowing that. Yeah. Well, Peter, famous. save me. <laughs> sorry, sorry Bill. I got, I got nothing for sorry, you, buddy. I, you're, lost, you're on your own in there. Totally lost control here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'm from Delaware City, Delaware, which oh, is just across the river very here close, from New very Jersey. Close. So, you know, we could all play this game. You're from Delaware City, game. Delaware by the Delaware River, right? <laughs> right. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Delawareception. <laughs> so much Delaware happening. Right. But, well, you know, um, th- th- being from, uh, uh, I mean, starting from Delaware, but then going to California and starting out in LA, and I mean, I know a lot of. People there who uh, like Ted Danson and others who were friends who got involved in politics as a celebrity and it wasn't easy. I mean, a lot of people were saying, "Stick to your day job," or as just Laura Ingram would say, "Shut up and dribble." Yeah, I guess right. Do you I, get that? I got a little of that, but I feel like I'm a citizen. I can participate. My job doesn't exclude me from my right to free speech and. Uh, you know, caring about who my elected officials are. And when I started in activism, I just started showing up and listening. I wasn't trying to get out there and say that I knew the answers or I wanted to be, you know, in the front of the march or be the one who gets to speak. I, for a year, really, I just went to every possible thing I could go to to listen and see who's on the ground and who's in charge and who's doing the work so that I could really learn before I got out there and open my big mouth. <laughs> I, I think one, one thing that's really cool, whatever side of things you're on, as, as someone who came from local reporting, um, what I like to see about the activism that we've seen in the past year or two is that people are getting active on local races. In past, particularly with celebrities, it was like every four years, you know, they would surface and, you know, stand yeah, right, on stage right with, the with the presidential nominee. Right. And, um, and now we're seeing the rallies. Yeah, now we're seeing people yeah. like you yeah. talking about driving to the polls in a congressional race. We're seeing people active in the New York. John Cusack was tweeting about the New York City Public Advocate Special yeah, Election. Yeah, that election's month. coming up. <laughs> like, like, I I love how micro the activism is getting and how hyper local because like you know I, I this was a pet peeve of mine when I reported on City Hall like like no one that's where government affects you most and where people are paying the least attention well and it's where you have the most power to change things like uh, I was talking to somebody about how much does it take to elect a sheriff and they're like some sheriff races it's about 11 grand to yeah. do that campaign mm-hmm. and your sheriff really has an effect on your daily life if criminal justice reform is something you're passionate about you should be really aware of who your sheriff is uh, yeah, eleven grand and a uh, hundred votes. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so someone with a small right, if you want to go to a victory party, work no. on a local election. So on, on the celebrity front, someone with a large Twitter following or a profile has a real ability to impact those races. But also, you know, I would say to other listeners, like like things like sheriff elections are decided by a handful of votes. Like everybody can make an impact right now. No. And it's not only important because, as you point out, these are important posts. They have important responsibilities. They have a huge impact on the community. City council, school board, sheriff, whatever. Attorney general, you know, of states. They got a lot of attention this year, like for the first time. So they're important for that reason. Also, 
This is the farm team, right? This is how you start people up the ladder. So you grow a bench. Uh, and they get some experience. They get some I mean, knowledge. If anything happens boom. to Bob Mueller, the number one counter to Trump will be New York Attorney General Tish James, who just took office. Um, I've, I've got a couple stories about this from the campaign trail in that race. But I mean, oh, cool. th- these things have real national impact. And, you know, she's ready. She's 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 fired up, man. (laughs) And he knows it. Yeah. I I did an interview with her way back when. And she was just like waiting. She knows she's going to end up in his Twitter feed. And I had actually found out he was acting, asking associates in New York. um, And they told that not just her. He was monitoring that race as it happened. So let me tell you, if Donald Trump is paying attention to local races like you should be, too. Right. Totally. And if you look at what's happening around the country today, the state attorneys general, both Republicans and Democrats, are doing more to shape public policy than the Congress is on many fronts. You know, this whole thing about the um, um, the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. right, and the pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. that was brought by the Republican attorneys general. Mm-hmm. All the challenges to Trump, Donald Trump's attempts to yeah. gut EPA have been brought by the Democratic attorneys general, led by Javier Becerra from California. Yeah, I mean, it, we, so, were, we were talking about, you know, DACA, and and we still have DACA right now, technically because of legal challenges. Mm-hmm. And you know the travel ban was fought at the state level. I mean, it, it you know these races can literally, um, you know, change the White House. Also, right. going forward, when we get to the twenty twenty census, mm-hmm. and we're going to redraw these maps, all the gerrymandered districts. If you want to have more fair voting, who your attorney general is and who your state legislature is, that's who's going to draw those maps. Of course. So, and, and the governor is going to sign them or not? <laughs> yes, yeah, so you better pay races. attention to who's in your state races. Right. Um, how about the um, Kavanaugh hearings? Hunter mentioned uh, you were you showed up for a few of those hearings. Yeah, right? I got arrested. It was an interesting experience. You got you arrested. Got arrested. Yeah. Uh, how'd that come down? That one, uh, you know, I, I don't were know. You if there as part of Code Pink or something? I went. I I knew other um, groups like activist groups that were there. There were Women's March people there. Ultraviolet was there. Uh, Voter Pro Choices or Code Pink was there. Uh, I knew a lot of women of activist leadership, like in leadership of activist groups that were there, but I just went on my own. I was really mm-hmm. pissed, <laughs> you yeah, know? You can say that. <laughs> okay, good. I don't, know, I don't know what the language rules are here. Um, I was really pissed. And actually in the DACA fight, I had gone to a training to get arrested because there was going to be a protest in front of Trump Tower before Sessions repealed DACA. And so hmm. I was thinking about getting arrested then, but I sort of got scared (laughs) but I had gone to this training and I thought I'm going to keep this up my sleeve and (laughs) if something happens this is how I'm going to use it to draw attention to what's going on and when Kavanaugh was appointed and they were going to have these hearings it was the first day of his hearings I heard that other women were going to go to disrupt in order to draw sort of media attention to Kavanaugh and I thought oh yeah I'm going to do it I'm going to do it I just want to say there's a great tradition of guests to the Bill Press show who have gotten arrested. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. You, you, both of you had better be careful here. Yeah. <laughs> ben Cohen and uh, from Ben and Jerry's came in and he told us, oh, he said, I'm cool. leaving here to no. go get arrested. They arrested no Ben? They arrested For him. what? Ben and, and Jerry, Jerry. Ben and Jerry are both here. They both, both were here arrested. one morning and I said something about, so why are you in town? And they said, well, we're, con- we're, we're, we're going to get arrested. We're leaving here to go to the Capitol to get arrested. <laughs> These men created cookie dough ice cream. They get a pardon. That, that, that pint That's a is lifetime just, pardon. Yeah, that Cherry Garcia is a get out of jail free card. I am outraged. <laughs> no, they, they were. They had gone through their training as well. Yeah. President uh, J. David Cox, president of uh, the 
American Federation of Government Employees, the one who sued Donald Trump over the shutdown mm. just a couple of days ago. He announced one morning he was leaving here to go join civil rights leaders at the Capitol to get, to get arrested. So we have this tradition, and I must, once again, I must say I feel so guilty uh, as a Democratic activist all my life that I've never been arrested. <laughs> I, heard a, I heard an interview I, I, with Norman Lear, and they said, this was not long ago, and they said, is there anything you regret? And he said, I regret I've never been arrested. And then the interviewer said, there's still time. And I was like, oh, I want to get arrested. That's, what, That's what I'm thinking. So next time you're going to I'll go, call you. Call me. Yeah, come with me. Yeah. <laughs> I will cover that. I just okay, want to say, cool. right, I'll be out there with my iPhone waving at you guys on the bus. Yeah, Hunter, you know? tell us about the times you've been arrested. <laughs> I, actually, I almost got kettled once at Occupy Wall Street. That's oh, when they, really? That's when they came in with these, like, orange mesh like oh, things yeah, yeah, and like yeah. roped people up in circles and started bringing it together. But they, um, I think they realized like half of us were wearing press passes and some sergeant like <laughs> thought better of it. But, but yeah, that's the closest I've come. Right. Did they treat you well? They did actually treat us well. There was supposed to be, uh, I think, I mean, my theory is uh, Trump, I'm going to get this wrong, but there was some sort of federal raise that was supposed to happen that Trump didn't do on a Friday, and then we get, we're supposed to get arrested on a Tuesday. So, and it, we're arrested in the Senate Hart Building. So, those mm. are federal police, mm. and so they were pretty oh, kind were, to us. Yeah, oh, uh -huh. yeah. I, I think in general, the D.C. law enforcement. I mean, I, I was out yeah. there during the inauguration when I think 200 people got arrested, and mm -hmm. a limo was on fire, and it was pretty wild. But, but you know, they've 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 done this before. <laughs> this is not their first rodeo. Well, it they, helps they know in, how in the well, hearing room. There's every reporter across the world, yeah, you know what I mean? Right. So that makes a difference. Also, we see it all the time in front of the White House. There's sometimes a little, they're protests there every day in front of the White I, House. I was, sometimes they get a little out of control and, and they, they, they handle it. I mean, they, they I, move in the bus, they put them, you know. I was in Rayburn um, the other week meeting with someone in a Senate office and I'm walking through the hallway and I see a guy getting cuffed by Capitol Police right in front of the doorway. And so I asked the receptionist in the office, I was like, oh man, what, what's going on out there? And she goes, it's Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. People are serious about their yeah. rights and, you know, they want to be heard. Yeah. So in, in terms of political focus, what's next? So what I'm really excited about next is voting and election reform in New York State. We have a true Is that blue where you live, New York? Yeah, that's yeah. where I live and that's where I vote. And uh, and uh, we have a true blue legislature and a Democratic governor and we don't have automatic voting registration in New York. It's so embarrassing. We don't have same-day voter registration. Yeah. Our state and federal primaries are on different days. The ballot's kind of a confusing mess. New York has one of the worst, worst uh, rules in terms of, like, you have to register to vote almost a year ahead of time. It's insane. And if you don't, you cannot vote in the primary. It's so insane. New York is a fair elections and transparency nightmare. And totally. it's, it's a very interesting thing because, and I, I've, I worked for the New York Observer for a couple of years, I covered this. Um, Andrew Cuomo, yep. you know, credits himself as a progressive, maybe has his eye on 2020. His, his old line used to be, anyhow. his old line used to be, New York is the progressive capital of the nation, you know? And it's like, meanwhile, he basically um, winked, nodded, backroom, prevented the legislature from being democratic for right up until just now. Um, um, and part of how that 
backroom machine stuff has been able to go on in New York is all of these barriers to voting, these primaries on odd days, which, by the way, just blow taxpayer money. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real issue. So I feel like he said in his agenda for 2019 that he would, I think the line was, make voting easy. And I was like, <laughs> can we be a little more specific than that? But uh, he said Thank he wants you. to do it, and Stuart Cousins wants to do it, and uh, so I, I'm really going to push on that. But that's, remember, that's Andrea Stewart Cousins, one of the leaders of the legislature. Right. I remember uh, in 2016, as a Bernie supporter, you know, Bernie was able to excite all these people to get involved in politics. Uh, a lot of former Democrats maybe come back, Republicans, uh, or people never been involved in politics. They couldn't vote. It's so frustrating. Because they had not registered a year before. So frustrating. You know, just, yeah, same-day voter registration, uh, absolutely. The other thing that uh, Cuomo has come said that as a priority for 2019 is the legalization of recreational marijuana for New York. I mean, he's got a progressive little I mean, list of things he says he's going to do there. I think a, a progressive little list of things he has now gotten to after yeah. facing after immense Nixon. pressure right. and the most serious challenge. And his third term. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> now he, he's come around on it. You know, we, we, we went from New York leading on gay marriage and being, as he said, the progressive capital for the nation to follow to New York following all the other states that um, legalized pot without <laughs> so much sturm and drang. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. as a New Yorker, I want to feel proud of how progressive we are and how out front we are. And I can't have my, you know, New Yorker swag if Idaho has better voting laws than us. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. annoying. That's a great that's a great call. I think voting voting reform making making it easier for every American to vote. Um So wait, as a reporter, I got to do it. So this means okay. you're running in 2020? <laughs> Do you ask everybody that? Oh, yeah. I just walk down the street in D.C. I'm like, you're running? You're running? You're it's running? Explore. I'm exploring. I mean, I'm at exploring this point, it. the field is big. <laughs> Who knows? There's a lot of room out there. Running? That wasn't a no. That was not yeah, a no. no. I did not hear a denial there. That's, yeah. what I, I heard, that's what they all say, right? I'm <laughs> yeah, exploring. Yeah. I'm exploring. Right. Would you consider running I don't for so. anything? I'm not, not necessarily for president. Uh, 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 may I just say, please don't run for president. <laughs> <laughs> I have a list of 32 already, you know, I mean... It's getting crowded out there. Getting crowded, right. But... I mean, what I... (laughs) I really like people to be educated in the field that their job is in. So I don't have an education in legislation. I don't have experience in policymaking. Well, welcome to Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think, you know, I vote for people who have a lot of experience for what they're doing. And so I don't know that I'd make a good candidate. But I'm a great supporter and activist and citizen. Well, and you are also, we should say, a small business owner. I am. And, and I, I said, as we were coming in, uh, as we were oh, on the break, it's, it's, I said yeah. I had a bone to pick with you. Uh-oh. And oh, no. this is because Piper oh, co-owns one of the like hottest restaurants in New York right now, <laughs> Jack's Wife Frida. My wife is obsessed with this place, Hunter's Wife. Yeah. And the last time we were in New York, she tried to take me. And we could not get a table oh. because your place has blown up. <laughs> No, I've heard of that restaurant. I didn't really? Know that was yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You, well, you guys have to give me your numbers, and then I'll make sure we get you a table next time. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, it is, it, is, it is a very really, successful Really, you have to give me your business. number, Hunter, and we'll all make right. sure that you guys get a table. Oh, man, all right. That's, that's a uh, you know, good it's connection cool, to make. It's cool, you have to come. Yeah. Oh, no, My absolutely. wife swears by the French 75. That. She says you guys are delicious. The French 75. It's a cocktail. I love a French 75. <laughs> oh, you I've said that th- too, Peter. I've had three this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to make a joke about a 75-year-old Frenchman, but we'll leave that. We'll leave that. <laughs> I'm not sure. What part of town are you in? 
I live in the East Village. No, I mean, okay. Is that where the restaurant is? Uh, there's three. There's one in the East Village and oh. one in the West Village. And we just opened a new one on uh, 8th Avenue and 16th Street. It's like I'm doing a commercial for the <laughs> restaurant. No, that's all right. All right. Good for you. Yeah. Good, yeah. Uh, don't give up possibly running for office. You know, I think... I, 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 I mean, look. If, if you have if you have television you experience, thank yes. you, Bill. You have no, television seriously. experience, and you've got a business that hasn't gone bankrupt. You actually have more <laughs> experience than the president at this point, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so, in addition to uh, your political goals for New York State, reforming the entire state, uh, opening five more restaurants, uh, on, in, from the in the acting field. What's next? Anything? Yeah. Or have you given that up? No, no. I'm working <laughs> full time there, too. Uh, the next thing is I have a new show on Netflix that starts uh, March 15th oh, cool. with Idris Elba. Whoa. Yeah. It's called Turn Up Charlie, and it's a family drama. I'm often mistaken for Idris Elba. Same. I was going to say, I when I came happens. in this morning, I was like, I hate when Idris? that happens. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's frustrating. It I have to push like, people back. I thought you maybe know. you guys were related. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's well, so congratulations. cool. Thanks. Yeah, that's right. awesome. Yeah, no, thanks. March 15th? Yeah. All right. Um, do you have a, a horse that you're riding in 2020 yet? No. I sort of felt like up until the midterms, I sort of hated people talking about I, who. Same here. I was like, <laughs> I feel like it's a parlor game. Like, let's get the midterms done. Let's totally. get it sorted Absolutely. out. Let's do the work in front of us. That was and our rule here on the Bill Press. Really? Show. No, we would not let anybody talk about 2020. <laughs> I think you chastised me for that at least yeah. three times. Oh, yeah. I got right. the cattle prod. <laughs> I mean, I but know now, that. now. I know a season. lot of people are going to run. I mean, that's what I hear everyone uh, saying. <laughs> no. You know, and uh, I am I think that's going to be cool, actually, because I think, you know, when I watch the primary in New York, Cynthia Nixon really had an interesting effect on Cuomo's uh, campaign in pushing him Did into ever, yeah, yeah issues that he didn't yeah. want to talk about. And I think having a really diverse group of candidates is going to do that for the Democratic Party. And I think if you want to talk about growing the tent, that's a way to do it. You know, let people hear all the issues that we're concerned about. And then hopefully yeah. whoever gets the nomination, everyone's ego doesn't get in the way and they can get behind that person. I, I think so, the infighting is a huge, huge concern. And we're already kind yeah. of seeing it rear its head a bit. Yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. How do people follow you on Twitter? Piper Pear, at Piper Parabo. At Piper Parabo, okay. Me. And on Yahoo News, yahoonews.com. Right? Yeah, uh, right. yahoo.com. I'm sorry, yahoo.com. Yahoo. All right. <laughs> Had to do it. I just got a bonus for that. Great to see you. <laughs> Piper, thanks for all that you're doing. Keep it up, okay? Thanks for having Great. me, Great. Come back again. I will, thanks. The Bill Press Show.